the Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Hi, I'm Ken Crowther and this is the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the podcast on BBC Sounds. This week, Christine Lavelle is my guest today, taking your calls on everything from cherry trees, courgettes and cucumbers. Christine's also got some top tips on things you can be getting on with in the garden. And I've given you a plant of the week, one of my favourites. We go straight to your calls. And this week, we start with Rita and she's in sunny Clacton. Hello. Sunny Clacton, eh, Rita? Yes, it is sunny today. Yes, lovely. What you got for us? Um, I've got some miniature fruit trees. Mm-hmm. But there's an, I've got a cherry tree. It grows to about six foot in a big pot. But I don't know if it's edible or it's ornamental. So hang on, how did you and where did you come across this cherry? Um, I bought it in a, a garden centre two years ago and there's lots of cherries on it. The birds are eating them, but I don't know if they're edible. Right. Are all cherries edible, Christine? They are, aren't they? They are, yeah. yeah. So it wouldn't matter, they just whether they... What, what size are the cherries? Oh, they're quite big. Oh, yeah, well, they're quite big. That sounds like it's an eating cherry. But it wouldn't hurt well, if you ate them no. anyway, would well, no, it? No, it wouldn't hurt. No, no, they're all, they're all edible. It wouldn't poison you. Oh, good. <laughs> I and don't if, want to poison And remember that if, if you've got lots of cherries on on a tree it's because the pollination was very good oh right have you tried it have you tried having a taste yes um yes i opened one but it was a bit it was yellow inside but it was some of them no they are cream creamy yellow inside a cherry yeah i know Give it a good bite and tell us what yeah. it's like. Just, Haven't you got one with you okay. to try? We'll wait till it gets really sort of purpley. Uh, you know, They're not sort of really purply. soft. They're not really soft at the moment. Yeah, okay. well, you have to wait till they, they get... Uh, otherwise, they won't taste... Uh, they, you know, they won't taste okay, very taste. good. OK, thank you very much. That's all right, Rita. It's interesting because I went up to the Tiptree Farms recently and, in fact, um, because of the spring weather, it's quite interesting... Uh, to watch the pollination pattern because they've got six varieties that they grow, obviously for su- succession of crop oh, right, to okay, sell yeah. and to use. Uh-huh. And of course, because the weather was fluctuating when the pollination was on, yeah, the crop varies from tree to tree. Oh, how it's, interesting! It's so intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. Some have got hardly anything on, yeah. but they're massive. Yeah. And then there's another variety. I can't remember what it was, and it's covered in hundreds and hundreds of cherries. But of course, the size is small. Yeah. And if you saw them in your in your greengrocers, you wouldn't yeah. buy them because they're too small. Right. So they go for jam. <laughs> of course, the tip tree jam. <laughs> tip tree jam. But it was intriguing. Yeah. Things we don't even think about, aren't they? Oh, you absolutely, know, yeah. The, the, how do you get stuff to actually pollinate, to produce the fruit that we eat? You know, it's, yeah. it's intriguing. Anyway, that was my little trip out, a very enjoyable trip out as well. Uh, that number to call is 0800 111 And we got a note from Chris, the armchair gardener. Um, and Delia is up in the moment. But first we go to Burnham on Crouch. Where are you in Burnham, Christine? 
I'm down the bottom end. I'm not too far from the Corinthian, if you know Burnham Key. Oh, right, down that end. Oh, very nice too. Sunny again, sunny Burnham. It's beautiful. It's it's beautiful day today. Yes, it Mm. really is lovely. But um, I I need some help with my courgettes and cucumbers. Yeah, okay. What's the problem with them? Well, my courgette, there's quite a few coming now, but... um, when they get to sort of like a few centimetres long, they start to either go yellow, they sort of like, they tail off and go yellow from the blossom end and fall off, or they just rot. Right, that usually means they haven't pollinated properly. Is that what it is? I wonder if that's what it was. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, Poor it certainly pollination. sounds like that. Yes. So, now, I, mean, I can believe that. If you look at the weather... <laughs> yeah. you know, no, just no, talk- I've got loads of bees in the garden, and I say there's, there's um, runner beans and... Um, tomatoes growing nearby as well and i have fed the i have fed the courgettes with tomato feed yeah that's fine what you're doing i think it's just lack of pollination because that would make sense we've had cool nights haven't we yeah which don't help at all do they do yeah. i need to do i need to pollinate them by hand then you know to picking the male flowers off and the you can it works doesn't it Christine? Yeah, it could, yeah it can only help but it is true what ken's saying that there's that the, the insect population has decreased quite a lot this year because of the dry weather last year and then it was up until recently it was very dry again so it's not been a brilliant year for pollination no and i've got loads of bees in my garden christine now because i've got yeah. like a cottage garden so i've had loads That's of good. clubs etc you know yeah. and poppies and it's just been full of bees the garden been absolutely full of bees I still think it's a question on my cucumbers. I've got outdoor outdoor cucumbers. Sorry? In or out, were they? Outdoor. They're outdoors. They're growing in one of these grow sacks. Yeah. You know, the sack, not grow bags. I'm not keen on grow bags. We're in a sack in the (laughs) garden compost, and they're growing well. But the same thing is happening with them. They get little cucumbers, and then they go yellow. Some of them go yellow and fall off. I've got one or two that are almost ready to pick now. But I say some of the other little ones, they'll just shrivel before they get to any size. So you are getting cucumbers, you are getting yes, them those. to mature. She's yes, got mature they ones as well. Half an inch long, some of them, you know, and they um, they just go yellow and fall off. Yeah, but, but some of them are getting to maturity and there's yes, some of them yes, not. I've got, two. So, I've got yeah. one that's really ready to pick now, yes. Well, that's quite common, really, that you'll get a mix of some that will, will actually go to full size and then the, the, the plant aborts some of them that aren't pollinated properly. Or at right. all. Yeah. Right. I wouldn't panic. We're in for a bit no, of warm pa- weather. No, I'm not panicking. I just wondered what, yep. your, um, what your suggestion would be. I know? think it's lack of pollination. I yes. really do. Yeah. Yes. Okay, thanks for that, Ken. And Please as long see. as the plant is in good condition and growing well, that's what matters. Yes, well, I give them tomato feed as well, so... Yep, you're not doing anything wrong then. <laughs> okay. okay, thank enjoy, you, Ken. Enjoy your weekend and keep listening to BBC Essex. And we go to Scott from... Malden, it's all down the oh, You're all down the coast today, aren't you? I know. <laughs> Clacton, <laughs> Burnham, Malden. <laughs> right. What can we do for you then, Scott? Uh, I've got some dahlia tubers that won't wake up. Won't wake up at all. No. Uh, have you found uh, them? Are they soft? Yeah. They're, no, they're firm. They're firm. Yeah. And uh, have I, you I, I have you planted them out, or what have you done? Have you? Yeah. Um, I I store them like dry in the in yeah. the shed in the yeah. winter and then every March I get them out put them in pots uh-huh. and they all shoot and I take cuttings and yeah that sounds and, perfect and there's, there's one I know and there's just one bunch of tubers won't shoot and I don't know why um, have, they shoot, have they began to shoot at all nope <laughs> and the tubers are firm and I pulled them up 
a couple of weeks ago, and the the tubers have got fine roots, you know, micro roots coming out the bottom of yeah. them, and it looks, you know, and it's just there's just nothing shooting out the top. Well, what I would recommend for that is just to to you know keep them in the pot, uh, keep them watered, yeah. but not too well watered, and then you know eventually, if if they're still firm, they should shoot eventually. Should they? Yeah. Okay. If, it wouldn't if, be if, they, because if, they're too old, would it? No. Um, no. 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 Right. It, it, even old tubers would shoot. You know, eventually they might be just be a bit, a little bit slower. Have you, have you been watering them well? Yeah, yeah they've just, they've just been outside in a pot. Uh, just I mean, the same as all the other ones. Well, all the others. I'd just keep yeah, doing what you're there. doing, and eventually, hopefully, yeah. uh, <laughs> they will shoot. If, if, if they were dead, the indication would be that they would be soft and start going yes, a bit mushy and so on. Yeah, so that's a good sign that they're firm. Don't give up. Okay. And Scott, Hello. can you can you let us know when they successfully come so that we're convinced that we're right on this one? Okay, we'll do. Let us know when they start to oh, sprout. Put them in a little bit of heat. Super. If you bring yeah. them in, that that'll um, you know uh, advance them as well. So bring them into the yeah. heat. Yeah. Okay, I'll put me in the green then. Yeah. Yeah, do yep. that. Thank you very much, Scott. My plant of the week this week is lavandula angustifolia, and it's. It's sort of commonly called the English lavender, but it's, it's quite funny, really, because it's actually a native to the Mediterranean. It's highly aromatic, can grow up to a metre high. It's evergreen, flowers are something like at least three inches long with slender leaves. It tolerates wettish winters as long as you get a dry summer, and it is also tolerant of very low temperatures. Of course, we, we like things like Hidcoat. But what is Hidcoat? Well, actually, it's a cultivar of Lavandula augustifolia. And uh, Hidcoat, of course, several dwarf varieties are popular, like Munstead. Uh, also, there's Hidcoat Pink. And do you know why Munstead's called Munstead? Because it's named after Munstead Wood in Surrey, home of Gertrude Jekyll. There's also another one called Bowles Early. So they are lavenders. They're easy. They're easy to grow. But you must not cut them back harshly. If you cut them back hard, they will die on you. They really will. If you cut into old, old wood, they'll just die. So if you've got, take over a garden that's established, do not then try and actually um, cut it back and think it will grow again because the chances are very low indeed. What you have to do is, after flowering, to just trim them off lightly, go into the foliage slightly with either shears or scissors or something like that, and you'll find that they'll grow up again really well. The flowers and leaves are used for massage oils, herbal medicines, herbal tea, also used in a culinary herb called Herb de Provence. Why is it called Herb de Provence when they're English lavenders? You do wonder. They've nicked it, haven't they? Also used uh, as well against clothing moss. Now, some of you think that the French lavender is as tough as that lavender angustifolia that I've been talking about. Well, it isn't. It's often called a French lavender or a Spanish lavender, and that is lavandula stoches. Now, be careful of that one because it's not hardy doesn't like wet weather but we're not talking about that one go out and buy an english lavender let's now go to alan from hatfield hello alan hello again i'd just like to advise i've got a really good crop of strawberries this year yeah but a lot of foliage as well would it help if i trim some of the back so the sun can get more of the strawberries or not 
Yeah, you can certainly trim the the foliage back and the strawberries, and it won't do them any harm at all. Yeah, that was all you know. Because uh, I got out of a lot, but they're hidden away in the foliage. You know, I thought it might yeah. be better to trim some. Do you ever use a uh, straw to bed your strawberries on as well? That helps. Oh, I see. Okie doke. Yeah, get get a bale of straw and uh, put them underneath your your strawberries to actually sit on, and then the, you know if we do get continue to get wet weather, um, they, they won't get botrytis and they'll crop better for you. I mean, you, and you can buy small amounts of that at pet shops. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okie doke. It all helps. Yeah. Yeah, thanks very much, Ken. Okay, that's Alan from Hatfield with his strawberries. Strawberries do are looking good this year. They though. are, yeah, yeah, yeah doing really well. Yeah. I had a taste of one the other day; they're delicious. <laughs> Nothing like home homegrown strawberries. Yeah. Maureen from Felstead. Hello, Maureen. Hello. Good morning, Ken. Um, I've got a couple of questions with you. Last year, I had lilac wilt, and I seem to have got it again this year. Is it about again? It's difficult to say. I mean, quite honestly, if you had it last year, there's a chance that you'll get it again. Um, how did you treat it last year? Well, I just left it alone, but I'd lost the big parent bush, but I'd got a smaller one alongside. And the, and the smaller one's got it this year. The bigger one did die. Yeah. Oh, that's not, that's sad, isn't it? And yes. if that's alongside the, the other one, the likelihood gonna, is that that's yeah. going to do the same, actually. It is? Yeah. Okay then. So and that's the not other not good. So if, not if you if you want to replant with a lilac, you you know put it somewhere else, and that's a, just a good general rule of thumb. If a plant dies in the garden, no matter what it is, you know it's a, a good idea to plant it with another species of plant. Okay, so I shall either lose it or it'll survive. Pardon? I said I shall either lose it all or it'll survive. Yeah, yeah. Okay, then. and the other question is: Last year I bought. A cherry tree shrub. It did beautifully last year. It started to get leaves on this year, and now it's completely died. Could you tell me what's happened? Is it to do with the weather? I think it's to do. Uh, lots of trees this year have um, have died because of the the dry weather last year, and then the dry spring that we've had. And if it's just been, did you say it was planted up last year? It was planted up last year, yeah. yes. Well, the, the roots wouldn't have got that far down into the soil. And then with the dry weather, um, you know, newly planted uh, shrubs and trees get really badly affected by drought. So that's probably what's happened. Oh, right. And I say it did get the leaves, but now they've died off and it is dead. I've just checked it that this week and it's dead right to the bottom. Mm. Well, what would you know, I'd, I'd take it out? Um, yes. uh, I'd compost it uh, or chip it and so on. And then I wouldn't plant any no. new trees up till the autumn now. It's you know just in case it's it gets not ideal, yeah, it? it's not ideal. If you did plant something now, you'd just be a slave to it by washing it. You know all summer. So just wait till the autumn, which is probably the best time of year to plant. Add lots of organic matter to the soil before planting, and see if you can get another one going. Mm. I, I put a lot of fish, fish blood and bone meal down there when I planted. Do. Well, you've got to be careful that you don't put too much because you can, can overdose it. Yeah, you can you? have an adverse effect by putting too much on. You can do an overkill from that. Um, so, in the back of the packet, it will tell you how many grams per per square meter. But I usually put about a handful per square meter down, and that's that's sufficient. If you put too much down, um, it can actually draw the water out of the out of the plant. And is it disastrous if you put it in the hole with the compost? Uh, I wouldn't put it in the bottom no. of the hole. I'd actually put um, put mix it, it with the soil yeah. you're replacing, yeah. isn't it? With the soil that you've taken out, and you've got a pile of it, I'd mix it in with that, and then put it back in. 
But some of the um, some of the thinking now, Ken, is that you don't actually, f- you know, fertilise when you're putting your trees and so I on. I just in. mix it in with yeah. what the mix is. That's all. Yeah. I definitely don't put it in the hole because people used to, didn't yeah. they? Used to be recommended a handful of grow more, a handful of. Sorry, bone meal, didn't you? When you used to plant yeah. your water, the recommendation was put your compost in the hole yeah. and then throw a sort of handful of bone meal in. And yeah. in fact, they reckon that it can burn the roots, it, it can does, slow yeah. the roots. It's yeah. not ideal. It's funny how things, you know, we learn so much as yeah. time goes on on how to get plants to grow. Can I go back to your lilac just a minute? Yes. What, what it, you say it's wilting. Are the leaves going black or brown or black? What are they doing? Or is it just literally wilting? They've, they've got, a, a, they've got um, a, brown, a brown sort of marks on and they're curling up and it looks as if it's got something inside the brown marks and it's inside the leaf. Now, when you were told last year that you had lilac wilt... Yes. Where, where did you get the lilac wilt from? Who told? Did we tell you? Yes. So we told you it could be lilac wilt. Yes. Because normally they go blackish colour, and that's why I was just worried that it wasn't just because they wilt on their own, don't they? Yeah. Lilacs. Yeah. And they've had see lilacs have gone through quite a few stressful years, haven't they? Yeah. And that's this is the one of the problems. This is why you get problems with plants, isn't it? They don't they look that fantastic this year. They're not good yeah. this year because they struggled last yeah. year with that dry summer. Yeah. Now, the reason that you most likely had it last year and particularly this year is because of the stress caused last year through the summer. And I was just checking that it is what you say. Purely, if it's going browny, blacky colour... Um, that and they're slightly curling. I would guess that could be what you're talking about. I just wanted yeah, to cross check. Li- it's got little brown specks in the leaves and yellow specks in the leaves inside the leaves. I don't know whether it's that something. See, I'm worried that you haven't got it. This would see. It's always a great danger, isn't there? That we're saying, oh, that's what it is. Dig it out because you had it uh, last year. I'm scared that you haven't got it. Yeah. And I'll just I'll leave it then to its own devices. But try, it, but try the big ones it. died last and, year. And the last one the last one died completely, did it? Yes, yes. Oh, it so, does sound so the it same. Sounds like, yeah. It does sound like the same. So it sounds like out and don't put a new one in for some time. Yeah. OK, then. Thank you very much, Ken. OK, that's a pleasure. Thank you, bye. Thank you. Bye. That's a, a long one about lilacs, but um, it's not a common problem, is it? No, you don't see it about. We certainly haven't had it at Rittle, but, no. they, but they didn't look that great this year at Rittle. Uh, very poor, yeah, very poor. Uh, that number to call is 0800 111 Uh, let's take some of those, um, those uh, texts and emails now. Uh, maybe the ladies' cherries are the less sweet one used for cooking, like morellos and stuff like that. Could yeah. be, couldn't they? So, when I, when I said to the lady, it could be a sign you like an eating cherry, well, you can either eat them or you can get dessert cherries. That's right. And I thought maybe she was meaning that it was an ornamental cherry. Yeah, I think that's yeah. what she was worried about. Yeah. And yeah. they're bitter, aren't they? An ornamental cherry produces a cherry sometimes yeah. that's bitter. Even the wild one. It won't kill you, though. No, because the common one, which is what, avium, prunus yes. avium, which yeah, is the, the, cherry. the the cherry, that's the original, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a native one. And that is very bitter. I mean, I've tried yeah. those. They're very bitter indeed. Birds like them, but they're yeah. bitter, aren't they? Yeah. So they are, hopefully. Uh, thank you very much, Rob, for your suggestion there. I have a camellia in the ground. The edge of the leaves are being eaten. Is it 
vine weevil and how can I deal with this please and that's Jill Lloyd now Jill what we don't know is whether it's in a container which is yeah. easier to deal with vine weevil if it's yeah. in the container um, or whether it is actually vine weevil what yeah. else would chew the side of a camellia leaf depends um, on the chewings doesn't it yeah if it's got um, sort of u-shaped notches around the outside of the leaf that definitely is vine weevil and Kit, you were discussing it earlier what we thought it, this particular pest was and I've actually seen vine weevil chew the adult vine weevil does the chewing on the sides yeah. of the leaves uh, I've seen it doing it on species that have never been documented that they've been done on yeah. so um, I was ringing the doorbell in my friend's house one day and I looked down at her box hedge and it it had actually eaten the sides of the box hedge as well, and I've never seen it documented for box no. hedging. No, I haven't. And um, it does it on our virginias at Rittle College, uh, around the, the outside of that. Mm. And so anything that seems to appear to be thick and fleshy, which camellia is, uh, the adult vine weevils tend to have a chew on. I've seen them on rhododendrons as well. Yeah, they like rhododendrons, yeah. don't they? So, in fact... You could use nematodes would be the best bet, wouldn't it? Yeah, you can put your nematodes on at this time of the year. Because now, just to explain, a nematode is basically like a, I always describe it as a miniature worm. Yeah, it's a microscopic, a microscopic uh, organism. Organism. <laughs> <laughs> and how, you you buy those often by mail order, don't you? Yeah, yeah. There's um, you can get them for various uh, organic gardening catalogues and so on, and then you mix them in with your watering can, and then you um, you drench it onto the soil, uh, drench it onto your pot so you can actually drench it onto the soil and then these microscopic organisms um, get into your pest um, such as your your vine weevil, not on the adult this one but that gets into the grub stage that's actually in the ground and they do all sorts of horrible things. It's well, they, go like in through, a- they go in through the a, a hole in their head or something, don't they? And then form septicemia to them, don't they? It's, yeah. it's quite a nasty death, really. Oh, it's isn't horrible. It? It's like a horror story, really. <laughs> and this is organic and friendly of course the one thing you've got to watch out if you actually introduce nematode which is a type of biological biological control is that you've got to do it when the soil's moist so if you did it in um the weather that we had before the rainfall you could have watered it on and just watered away your money that you'd spent on it because it wouldn't work so with the moist soil that we've got at the moment it's ideal for actually watering nematodes on now and you can do the same for slugs they are there's a few extra things that you can get hold of. Uh, Maureen from Canvey Island is saying, Morning, Ken. Can you help me? Got a lovely crop of runner beans. Now, well, I think what she's actually saying is that the plants are growing really well. All right, Because okay. then she goes on to say, Lots of flowers, but I've noticed some of the flowers are dropping off with no beans behind. Any ideas? We're back to this same yeah. night. Yep, yep. Fluctuating temperatures. We've had huge fluctuations in temperature. Someone said to me the other day, was it last, not not this week, but the week before, you could have been in November, couldn't you? Yes. The yeah. temperatures were so winter, low, I'm, weren't they? I put my winter coat back on Ridiculous. again. Yeah. And this is the problem, isn't it? You won't yeah. get pollination if you've got fluctuating temperatures. Yeah. And even if you do get it to pollinate, they'll drop off, won't they? Yeah, absolutely. So that that's a classic case of poor pollination. We'll be back to your gardening questions in a moment, but right now on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast... Uh, Christine has got some top tips on things you could be getting on with in the garden. 
What's your first one, Christy? First one today is on successional sowing. Uh, you've probably got your vegetables in already, but did you know that you can successionally sow? That means sow again and again some particularly fast-growing crops such as radish, carrots, lettuce. Um, and so where you're harvesting some of them now, you could be actually sowing some new rows and then you could be harvesting them at, at later times during the year so you can get a succession in your harvest. It's so important because people think, oh, I'll sow, I've got a packet here, I'll sow loads of carrot, and then you've got all carrot at one time, and then, you know, you, you don't enjoy them as much because a, a freshly pulled, lovely young carrot is fantastic to eat, isn't it? Yeah, it's brilliant. So, <clears throat> yeah, a lot, as you see, a lot of people will sow the whole row, and if, you, you, if you're limited for space, what you can do, you can actually just sow half a row yeah. and then successionally sow the other half. And they usually say it's about three weeks. Well, a lot of books say two weeks, but I think really three. Three, three weeks is a good time between sowing one lot of a crop and then the next lot. So they are. There's a good tip. What's your next one for us? Uh, next one. Well, it's one that I've been doing in the garden at the moment, and it's weeding. After the rain, they are so easy to get out the weeds. And in fact, the weeds... Um, when the rain came, we're growing at you know a rate Fantastic of knots. Fantastic rate, wasn't it? Oh, and that's competition for water and for light from your actual plants that you're growing your ornamental mm. crops or your vegetables. So you want to be getting them out, and it's great to get them out now because they're just coming out so easily with the rain. So get on top of your weeding. That's my next top tip. So if you pull them out, I mean pulling them out's the easiest, isn't it? Just yeah. go along with your finger and thumb and pull them out. But uh -huh. if not, can you just hold them out as well? Or? Uh, you can hold them out if they're annuals, uh, but obviously if they're perennial weeds, you're better off getting Put a hand fork. Yeah. Hand fork and dig them out. Yeah. Now, get those weeds out. And uh, thanks very much for those, Christine. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. We had an email. We do try and get through some of your emails as well, uh, but I will answer your emails even if we don't answer them on air. Uh, this is from Ray Mackay. Mackay? Mackay. Is it Mackay? If it's M A C K A Y. Yeah, Mackay. That's Mackay. See, there's a lady who knows opposite me here. Went to school with lots of them. Did you? Yes. Perhaps he's from up there, you never know where Ray's from. Anyway, he wants help. He sent us a picture, hasn't he? And it's a rather muddled picture. Not only that, it's upside down, isn't it? Yeah, when we were trying to identify it, Yeah, we were sort of looking upside down, weren't we? Anyway, it's. You say you think it's an elder, which we do, because there's a flower of an elder bush. Yeah, and we can um, see the foliage as well. Yeah, uh, which generally we class as a weed, don't we? Yeah, it's not really a desirable garden no, plant. it's not really. what I'd leave yeah. in the garden. But growing through it, you have a climber, which they bought from Beth Chateau about 20 years ago. I did they? <laughs> and what do we think that is then, Christy? Yeah, we think it's a summer flowering jasmine. Mm. certainly looks like it. We couldn't smell it, though, obviously, because it was a picture, but we certainly think it's a, a jasmine. And it's got the leaf structure, Yeah, it's got it? the leaves. The leaves are in the correct order, and the trumpet-shaped, the small trumpet-shaped white flower is an indicator of that as well. So, in fact, it is something that you could grow through another plant, isn't it? Yeah, you can grow it through another plant. You can grow up a pergola. You can grow up a wall. So they grow quite well. Yeah, they're lovely and they're scented as well. So it's quite nice if it's a pergola because as you walk through the pergola, you can get the scent, you know, wafting, which is actually quite nice and sweet as well, the scent. So they are. There's some ideas for you if you want to plant a climber as well. Um, and they're pretty hardy, aren't they, the summer oh, ones? Oh, yeah. 
They're not yeah. bad. Do you cut? Do you cut them right hard back in the spring? Well, the, what tends to happen with the jasmine, it, like many climbers, is that they grow up and they lose a lot of the bottom leaves, so all the foliage and flowers at the top. So, I recommend every now and again, maybe every few years, to do a good hack back. You might lose quite a lot of the flower by doing the hack back, but it's worth it to get the leaves and the flowers back down again at the um, at the base. But they respond ever so well to pruning. I think people are. Always always too scared to actually prune hard but in fact hard pruning does help a lot doesn't oh, it? Oh absolutely I remember doing a, a prune for this lady on her roses once and I was uh, I wasn't lecturing at Rittle at the time I was actually working as a gardener and I did it as a weekend job went to this lady's house to prune her roses and, and I pruned them and she was nearly crying she was like oh Christine what have you done and I was like it's okay you know I've done this many times before it'll be fine and then she actually wrote to me in the summer it was just a one off job saying that they're the best roses that she'd ever had and so yes Ken you're quite right you do have to be really hard at pruning some things anyway yeah don't, don't, don't prune everything to get a good response yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, right, talking of pruning, Mike from Leoncy's given us a call on 0800 111 um, We'll get to Wendy in just a moment as well. Mike, what you got for us then? What Good are you morning, pruning? Yeah, um, I've got two beautiful pink uh, cistus in my front garden, one e- either side, which are just come, coming to the end of a month of pink balls, basically. But they're, they're about four foot to five foot across. And unfortunately, I'm losing half of one. Well, I'm losing half half the path on either side now. When yep. is the best time to prune them? The best time to prune your sisters, and this comes straight from Olsa, who's the head gardener at Beth Chattels, because we've just um, planted that new Mediterranean garden at Rittle. And um, I went to Olsa at Beth Chattels to ask where, exactly your question, and it's after flowering. After so, flowering? Yeah, so it's right, just coming up enough. to that. And yeah. I can be pretty brutal, can I? Well, uh, well, well anyway, Hang on, hang on. You don't. You have to be careful. You, you can't have. be too brutal, yeah. can you? Yeah. They're a Mediterranean plant, and very much like lavender and like rosemary. If you cut back into the hardwood, sometimes you know they don't regenerate from oh, right. the hardwood where there's no leaves. So cut you, it yeah. back to where you've got leaves, and yeah. if you cut beyond that, you're just taking a chance. Sometimes they'll shoot, but the younger the plant they are, the more likelihood they are to shoot from, uh, you know, beyond the, the leaf zone. But right, fine. That's yeah. lovely. Thank you very much. Okay. okay. And they have, awesome. they have been a great help. show this year, haven't they? Oh, they've they? been wonderful, especially after the weather last yeah. year. Suits some things, doesn't suit others. That's what, that's what gardens are like, yeah. aren't they? Wendy from Colchester. Hello, Wendy. Hello. Hello. Hang on. You've got your radio on, haven't you, Wendy? Yes, yes. Hang on. Thank you. If you turn okay, it on. I can hear you now. <laughs> right, okay. We're talking um, pyracantha. I'd like to ask why my pyracantha is missing red berries every other year. This year it's been absolutely full, but I've only got about 12 little white ones for next year. Oh, I see. It was full in the spring. When did... Have you pruned it? No. I don't know how to do that. Um, Half of it is threaded in between trellis on the wall and the other sort of is just sticking out to the front of the garden. Does it need... Back no, out, no. The reason I ask whether you prune it is because you often prune and then cut off the flowering yeah. shoots, and therefore you don't get your flowering shoots. So, in fact, most people prune after berry, or yeah. as the flowers are there, you can prune yes. them because you then yeah. know you're going to get the berry. I think it's just—I I don't think there's a problem. Do you? Well, 
No, I mean, some plants flower really well one year and then they don't flower Mm. well the next year. That's typical with a lot of things like apples and so on. And pyracantha is in the apple family. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. But anyway, thank you. It's the rose rose family, but the apples are in the the rose family, yeah. Yeah. So now I haven't got... The red berries have gone now. And do I prune it now then, do I? No, because you... Well, you've got... You just said you've had the flower, yes... I've got a few little white flowers that will come next year. No, it, no. Should, it, should, it should be flowering. It should, flowers yeah. about now. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, 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 yeah, the, what, the white berries, the white flower, you mean? The white yeah. flower, yeah. Yes. No, I have, but I've only got about a half a dozen on well, there. Well, what you can do is you can prune round those flowers and leave the flowers yeah. alone because they will produce your berry. Oh, right, lovely. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Yes, thank you very much. That's the sim- simplest way of doing it for yeah. Wendy, isn't it? She's dashing off out there, I reckon. Um, uh, this uh, question is, we always tune into your BBC Essex programme on a Saturday. I'm glad you do, John and Carol Sellers. <laughs> uh, we need listeners. Uh, we always need li- listeners because that's what keeps us going, isn't it? Don't forget, actually talking of listeners, you can give me a call now. There's a line free on 0800 111 Text as well, 81333. Start your message with the word Essex. This is an email we're referring to now. And we always tune in. And uh, three years ago, they planted a thistle pod. It was dried. And two years ago, we planted some seeds. We took and planted it out in the garden. Unfortunately, most of them were eaten. But one survivor this year, and nearly seven foot high, see the attached photo. It is fantastic. It's isn't magnificent, it? isn't it? And do we leave it, cut it back, or will it just die? We've looked through various gardening books to no avail. Is this normal or is it a freak? No, it isn't a freak, is it? What what have we got there for them? Yeah, well, well we had a look at this this morning, Ken, yeah. and we've got this one at Rittle, and we've got it in our herbaceous borders, and it seeds about in there because it's a biennial. But Beth Chattel uses it in her Mediterranean garden, in her dry garden, and dots them around, and they give you know a lot of height and structure and the vertical form within the garden. And as you say, seven foot, they get to over two metres, uh, in two years and then once they flower they die and that's the end of them and then what you would do it seeds around so you take the little seedlings that so you, would you let them seed on the ground on their own is that best uh, well or I'd, can you take the seed you take them just like how you thin out vegetables and so on so wait you know water them if it's if, if it's dry then get a hand fork or a trowel and take the seedlings and then you can dot them around your garden where you want them and, and then, that's the easiest then yes. rather than taking the seeds and trying to grow them separately yeah yeah, I'd, I'd wait for them to, to grow Naturally. up at the bottom, yeah. What's it called? It's called an Onopordum acanthium. They are Onopordum. 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 O-N-O-P-O-R-D-U-M. Onopordum. So they are hopefully... Quite an unusual plant. You don't see it about very <laughs> you often. Don't, do you? No, so that's probably why they were a bit perplexed about what it was. Yes, and it's not an easy one to work out. So they are John and Carol Sellers. Hopefully you're listening. And they are there's your answer to your conundrum. Last last thing about that one. It takes dry conditions really well, hence why Beth Chattel's got it in the Mediterranean garden. That is a good point, isn't it? Yeah. Now, <clears throat> this one is uh, my rhododendron, which is in a pot, is suffering from fungus. Now, the problem here is, despite spraying regularly as the instruction, it has lost 
a lot of flower leaves, lower leaves. Is there any way I can help it back to health? Now, if it's in a pot, <clears throat> there's loads of things that could be wrong with it, couldn't there? It could be too small a pot, yeah. dried out through oh, that's, that. That's usually I mean, the, the main We've just one. had a dry period, haven't we, yeah. up until this bit of rain. So I reckon that's dried out. And she's saying fungus. What, why would you think you've got a fungus? You oh. wouldn't, would you? If it was really dry. And the leaves are going yellow. I mean, I think yeah. it hasn't got a fungus, do you? Yeah, if the leaves are going yellow, that's quite indicative of sort of drought conditions. And if the leaves start to drop off, which they have done, that again, that's another sign that it could be drought. And what people tend to forget, if they've got plants in pots, that you've got to water them over the winter period. And, you know, because normally you get winter rainfall, but in a lot of pots, something like rhododendron with the leaves would probably cover yeah. the top of the pot. You're not going to get a, a lot of water in there from the rain. And then it didn't rain anyway. So uh, people forget to water in the winter time. So that's a, a good tip for everyone, just to make sure that you water in the winter. And even in the dry springs that we've had as well, and even although it's rained, still check your pots. So with this one, I would soak and soak and soak. Yeah. Then stop. And I would also try a foliar feed, something like one of the seaweed-based yeah. feeds, like a maxi crop, and you could put that onto the leaf as well, couldn't yeah, you? Yeah, you can. And yeah. that might help it back into... <clears throat> and, in fact, you could repot it at the moment, couldn't you? I mean, June, you could still get away with a repot, Oh, yeah, absolutely. You? Yeah, get a, a good ericaceous compost because it's a rhododendron, it's an acid lover. And if you're going to have it in a pot, I would probably get John Innes uh, ericaceous compost, which is a little bit heavier. It holds the moisture a little bit better than if you've got a peat-based or a coir-based compost. So they are. And we had another picture. I'll read it out. This plant is growing in my friend's garden. It's always in friend's gardens, these people. Coming under the fence from next door. The flowers were dark red and quite small. Unfortunately, she didn't get a pick of this. She has four dogs regularly visit. I'm concerned the seed bods could be toxic. Can you help identification? And we reckon that was a euphorbia, wasn't it? Does that oh, have yeah. a reddish flower? It's, it's, like, yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's not a strong red, though, is it? No, it's sort of um, like a... Rose colour? Yeah, a rose colour, but it's got the, the lime green within it as well. Mm. So, in theory, the pods are poisonous aren't yeah they? the whole plant is basically yeah it's got, it's got poisonous. toxic sap and toxic yeah. sap so and do you know ricinus which is the castor oil yep. plant that's in the euphorbiaceae family and obviously that's where you get the chemical ricin from so yeah it's a very toxic family so would you so do you worry about dogs do you think I suppose in theory, dogs... It depends whether your dogs eat plants. Because yeah. some dogs do chew on plants, don't they? Yeah, especially when they're in the younger stage, when yeah. they're in the puppy stage. But um, I wouldn't worry too much about it. No. But you've got to be warned, and we're being there very yeah. straight. It is toxic. Yeah. The plant is toxic. It's, part, it's the same as your Christmas plant, your um, gone red one. Uh, Poinsettia, yes, that's same family, yeah. same family, and when you break it, it has a, a white sap, and it also can give you a slight rash. Can't oh it? yeah, it can burn it your can, skin. Can burn the skin. So yeah. they are. We've given it, made it sound a terrible plant, but we buy them, we plant them because a lot of them are very attractive additions to gardens. So they are. That's Doreen B from Suffolk. We'll be back to your calls, texts and emails very shortly, but uh, we're going to take a final look at those tips that Christine has for us this week.
Something else that we've been doing in the garden recently is we've been preparing to get our Mediterranean garden ready. We're having an official opening of the extension of the, the garden and we were edging it. And when we were edging it, it just brought back to me the importance of edging your lawn. It is so important. Right. It makes the whole job, you know, it's just such a small job, it makes the whole job just so much better, really professional. So we were actually taking it to the extreme. We were edging it. And then for bits that had got a little bit wonky, we got the half moon out. Yep. And so we were just realigning it. And then we were just going that extra stage and getting a pair of hedging shears and then just clipping under where the, the lawnmower quite hadn't got. So it was perfect. And it does make a big difference. And actually, uh, it's good to do it this time of year now because we've had the rain and it's so much easier if you're going to do the half mooning to do it when the soil's moist. And that's an edging on. That's a sort of, it is a half moon because it's half a blade, isn't it? it? Is, In a yeah. curve, yeah. really, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah, that, you can slice it down and just re-edge any bits that have gone wrong, yes. can't you? Yeah, so that's, so that's a, a, I think, a must for the garden for you to look good. For and you're good. quite right that because of the rain, Grass, whether you fed it or not, is looking really green, isn't it? Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, it was. It was actually in about April, May. It was looking like it, the grass usually does in July. And this is really giving it a new lease of life. So they are, the lawn sets the rest of the garden off. Yeah. What's your next one then, Christine? Next one. Believe it or not, the roses are starting to go over already. Some of the first blooms have gone over. So I think to tidy up your garden uh, is to go through and deadhead your roses. And for things like your hybrid tea roses um, and your florabundas, you'll get perpetual flowering. So the more you deadhead them, the more the more they will flower. And the better it looks in the garden anyway, just by tidying it up. So they are. Keep deadheading. I like to feed as well. Do you, do you feed? at this time of year roses with a second feed at all yeah I, I usually always just do a first one and then I, I do a mulch of a manure on that's top a good idea. yeah and that sort of keeps them going for the year and I actually use um blood fish and bone which is a natural slow yep. release it's an organic one if you've got problems with badgers in the area or you've got a dog it tend it's probably not the best fertilizer to use because they tend to they mm. smell it and they try and dig it up but if you haven't got a problem with that it's a it's an organic fertilizer it's slow release and that does it for most of the season. There you are. Some good tips from Christine and thanks very much indeed. It's time now to look at some of those events that are happening around the county. Now, you're not sending me in enough of your garden and horticultural society events. You're not getting enough of those into us. So come on, send them in. Ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk and we'll put them onto this podcast and spread the word. Those of you who have done that have actually come back to me and said, thank you very much, it really works. So let's look first at NGS, National Garden Scheme, and these are supplied by Debbie Thompson, who's Essex's National Garden Scheme lady. She looks after us here at BBC Essex. Keyway, Ferry Road, Creeksea, near Burnham on Crouch. There's an interesting place, that's right by the river. A large mature country garden. This is on Wednesday the 26th of June. Garden with stunning views over the River Crouch. See, I said it would. Sweeping lawns, perennials, rose gardens, herb garden. Interesting water feature. Further afield, there are wilder areas, paddocks and lakes. So they are going to have a look at that. It's £4 admission, children free, homemade teas, 2 till 5, Wednesday the 26th of June. C-M-O, that's naught, cm 8 P.L. Alting Wick, Crouchman's Farm Road, Malden, down the road from that. You could do the two in a day, I reckon. 
Uh, that's Friday. Oh, no, different day. Sorry, Friday the 28th of June. Homemade teas, admission £5 again. Listed black barns provide a backdrop to a fantastic eight-acre garden. Mature weeping willows, kitchen garden, dramatic late summer beds, zingy, tender, exotic plants, drought-tolerant perennials as well. So they are. That's Crouchman's Farm Road. Friday the 28th of June, CM9 6QX. Moving on to Fingering Ho, Tudor Roost. Um, that's open Saturday the 29th and Sunday the 30th. Children are free, admission £4. That's in 18 Freya Way, Fingering Ho. Homemade teas, whoa! An unexpected hidden colourful acre garden. It's manicured, grassy paths wind round island beds and ponds. It's well worth going to see. It's got a colourful gazebo. A garden planted to give you colour all year round. And last but not least, I want to go to Chigwell, to 37 Turpins Lane. Now, here's a bit of an unusual one. Sunday the 30th of June, admission £4, child. It's an unexpected hidden garden. It really is. It's magical. It's partly walled. And, and it shows you how much you can achieve in a small area. It's an oasis of calm and densely planted, rich, lush foliage. It's got tree ferns, osters, topiary. It's got everything. And even a small pond and some water features. So they are going to 37 Turpins Lane, Sunday the 30th of June. And what's its postcode? IG88AZ. Shall I fit you in another one? Four Shepherds Close. Come on, Benfleet, 30th of June as well. £3.50 to get in, children free. Again, homemade teas. South facing, secluded garden, backing onto a nature reserve. It's got gorgeous herbaceous borders, archway, leading through to a productive vegetable area and a greenhouse. So there, there's another one to go and look at. And somebody who sent one in is thank you to Jill and Bernard Tracy. They have got a south-facing secluded garden uh, that is open. Um, and that is the one at, would you believe, is for Shepherd's Close. Thank you for sending it me in to BBC Essex, you see. You get it mentioned, Jill. And Bernard Tracy, you thought I was going to miss you out. But no, it's Sunday, 3rd of June, 11 till 5. Don't forget, go and see Jill and Bernard. Tell them that I sent you. And that all needs to be coming along to the postcode SS72LR. Send your events in nice and early to Ken Crowther. Send them by post. PO Box 765, Chelmsford, CM29XB. Or you can send them on the email, ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk. And we'll spread the word. We will go to Sandra in Frinton-on-Sea, sunny Frinton-on-Sea. Aren't you down by the sea, Sandra? Um, no, I am in the garden at the moment because it is so lovely. Well, when the programme finishes, you see, you can pop down and have a bit of a paddle as well, can't you? Yes, <laughs> yeah. It'll be too busy, I should think. <laughs> that is one of the troubles, isn't it, when the sun comes out with Frinton, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, we can go in the evenings when everyone's gone, so it's lovely. <laughs> Very nice, too. What, what's, your, what's your question about today? My question is, um, I buy basil and rosemary you know in the little pots that you can get in supermarkets yes now when i plant it it just dies yes so how what do i do what's the best way to grow go, them go to a garden center and buy a basil yeah or a rosemary that's been right. grown because basically I, i'm not putting off you're buying it as supermarket yes 
Yeah, because we yeah. use it, you know, when we're yep. cooking for they, fresh, and then obviously you've got the plant left. Yep. And it'll tell you and plant it out. Basically, they are grown as a, basically, as a herb. Herb right. that sits on the windowsill. They yeah, grow fast, okay. aren't they? Yeah, they're growing extremely fast. And so uh, when you plant them out... It, it's a shock. Yeah, it's a bit of a shock for them. So yeah, if you get one from a garden centre that's been grown on in you know conditions which are similar to the ones that you'll plant out in your garden, it will be a better transition. Right. And I know you'll pay more. I mean, to buy a small rosemary, you'll pay quite a lot of money, but you've got that for 10, 15, 20 yeah, years. Yeah, I mean, that's, that doesn't matter. I, do, I just thought, well, you can plant them, so do it that way. Because I don't have problems with anything else. And how many times have you tried that? Well, have you, have you tried it with other herbs, then? Um, yeah, I mean, coriander. I've, uh, no, not coriander, oregano. And that grows beautifully out here. Yeah. What, the same way? Buying from a supermarket yeah, in a pot? Yeah, So um, wait, wait, yeah. what time of year did you plant your basil out at? Well, I haven't tried at all this year. Um, last year it was in the summer months. Yeah, because it's it's not you hardy, could, so that I was just wondering yeah. if it was because you planted it out too early, but that should be OK. You can do it now. Yeah. I mean, if you've got some on the windowsill now, the important thing is to not remove all the leaf before you plant it out. Yeah. So leave some growth on yeah. it. Oh, do you know, I have to admit, actually, I did, the basil did start to grow and then my rabbit ate the rest of it. So that was the reason for that one. <laughs> but if you, um, basil you can grow from seed very easily, can't yeah, you? Yeah, it's really well. easy. That's what I was wondering. Would it be better for me just to go and buy the seeds? Like, if I go and actually buy a, a proper plant. Now, where do I plant them? What is a good position to plant them in? They like it nice and sunny, right? Uh, okay. And um, and they like uh, and they grow better if you've you know um, forked over your soil, added a little bit of organic matter, got it nice and loose, and then uh, planted it up from there. Okay, lovely, brilliant. All right, we'll try. <laughs> Sandra, let us know how you get on and yeah, enjoy it. And enjoy your walk down the front tonight when everybody's gone <laughs> home. And uh, Mike from Frinton, he wanted to know about his apricots. He can't quite, it's a very old tree and they're not very orange yet. Well, I don't think there's any answer to that other than um, wait, be patient, be patient. Uh, John from Burnham, um, we're talking brassicas, is that right, John? That is correct. Uh, good what? morning to you. Um, I just wonder if you could give me a little bit of advice. I've used um, this, oh, anti-aphid, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the name. Yeah, what are you using? Uh, Provaldo. Yeah. Uh, I've sprayed them um, just a couple of weeks after I put them in because I saw signs of holes appearing in the cabbages, etc. blah, blah, blah. They're under a netting. They're doing fine. But now I'm just wondering, can I re-spray them to prevent uh, a total decimation like I experienced last year? No, you can't. Mm. You can, I wouldn't. I wouldn't use it as a prevention. Quite honestly, I yeah. don't think, especially on vegetables. I don't. It's something that we try and avoid. Yeah. Um, you use it because they're there. You've got to. I always think of Jeff Hodge. Who tells this story about having a glass of wine in his hand and walking around his garden. You know, at least every other day and right. looking for the pest. And really, that's what you have to do. And with cabbages, if are they in your garden or up at the veg? 
uh, up in a vegetable plot. You've got to get up there regularly and look for the problem. If you see the problem, that's when you act. But yeah. you've got to look and be very observant. Right. And did you have did you have your netting on last year where you had the decimation? Uh, yes. Unfortunately, the cabbage white got through somehow, and well. Yeah, I was just going to actually say like, that. Uh, I should imagine Chernobyl by the time they finished with it. Yeah, but the thing is, um, you know, you can get through quite small gaps of butterfly. So I would advise you in getting smaller gauge netting. Ah, this year I've got um, a tunnel of netting which I bought from a, a garden magazine, and so far it's worked wonders. Oh, fantastic! Well, I think that's what you want yeah. to do, and I but I definitely would not spray unless you see caterpillar. Yeah. Right. So if I do see caterpillar, it's okay to respray. As long as the period on the whatever you're spraying yeah. with, I know you said you use Bravado, I don't know what the clearance is on vegetables on that, but you always have to check what the clearance of cropping against spraying. Uh, You've right, got to leave a period that. of time between when you spray and when you harvest it. All right? Well, oh, absolutely. I mean... But do you know, uh, if I was you, you know, try it out with the, you know, next year, just try it completely with the netting, you know, put the netting, you know, plant them, put the netting up. And because if you can get your vegetables without any spray on them, it's just better it's for better, you. It tastes better than everything. Well, um, basically, that's what I've done this year. I've got all my netting up, then I transplanted everything from my greenhouse outside, like, you know, because I've got a cold house, so it's just basically like a cold frame. Yeah. Everything's coming through wonderful. Fantastic. Then I started to notice little holes. Oh, right, OK, yeah. Fried. And yes, everything's coming through wonderful. But this morning, um, I noticed there was one or two little holes reappearing. Right, OK. Keep an eye out, watch very carefully, be observant, and that is what gardening has to be yeah. about, doesn't you it? You can hand-pick them off as yeah. well. Yeah, hand-pick and drop them into a... a a jar of water. It's not friendly, but it uh, does get... I'll squash them. I'll squash them. All right, John? Thank you very, very much indeed for all your help. Thanks, I spoke John. to someone the other day, actually, whose um, who's father used to grow lots and lots of vegetables, uh -huh. and, and they were saying that they can remember the father picking off the cabbage white yeah. um, caterpillars yeah. off the cabbages, you know. Yeah, that, that's why I gave the advice, because my dad used to do the same. Yeah. yeah. It, well, because people didn't spray for cabbage white particularly no. then, did they? Sprays are quite expensive, Ken. Yeah. You know. I add so, up, don't they? Yeah. Right, let's go to Talk Garlic with Phil from Colchester. Oh, morning, Ken. Morning. Um, rust. Um, what I'm wondering, um, should I dig them up now and... Uh, Destroy them. Normally, I'll keep a few cloves and replant, but will that come back again next year if they thing me on it? With rust in, shouldn't should it? In theory, because yeah. if you peel, if you peeled them back a bit, yeah. it'd remove your rust, wouldn't you? So Do you think some. so, yeah. Christine? I'm well, just—I'm I'm, I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure. I'm actually, I'll be honest. I'm not familiar with um, with it's, rust it's on, like onion on garlic. Rust, is it? It's onion yeah. rust and garlic. But I know on pelargoniums. Uh, with pelargonium rust, yep. if you get rust on pelargoniums, there's nothing you can do about it. You've got to destroy the plant. But that's in yeah. the plant. But it's whether, yeah. would it stay in the bulb? I've been wondering, you see. Yeah. Would it stay in the bulb? In theory, it'll stay in the. It's yeah, just stay, I, it'll stay in the tissue, won't it? Yes. Yeah, probably. Because you pearl them a bit when you break the clothes you do. To, to plant them, don't you? Yeah. I've, I've been keeping them for like four or five years now, a few clothes. And, and how often plants. have you had rust, or is this the first year? 
uh, I had a touch last year. But yeah, it's because it's dry again. On. Yeah. So I'm wondering whether to dig them all up and use them and then buy fresh. I'll, I'll move them around the plot, you know, I don't plant the same bit or... I I would be wary. I would personally, for the, for the price of a few garlic, yeah. I would start again. Yeah, and, yeah. and then use another plot of ground as well. Well, I do. I move them all, all year, you know, every year different. I yep. rotate all the veg. Okay. So, so um, you're doing the right then, thing from that point of view. I would just, for the sake of cleanliness, start again. Yeah, all right then. Yeah, thank that's, you very much. That's Phil from Colchester. Um, we did the camellia, didn't we, in the ground? The edge. Oh, no. I have a camellia in the ground. The edges of the leaves are being eaten by vine weevil. How can I deal with this, please? And that's your Lord. Oh, I was in the ground. What's it? Yeah, we did that one. I don't. Oh, it is in the ground, so yes, yeah. you can deal with it. Yeah. yeah. What I was saying is if it was in a pot. Yeah, I did that one, didn't I? Uh, right, um, I've got a plant in a pot which we bought brought bought last year it was fine and grew well but this year the leaves have gone yellow <laughs> falling off oh it's a goji plant goji plant so that's goji berry isn't it oh yeah yeah uh which we bought last year it's fine grew well but this year the leaves have gone yellow and are falling off i mean it's not just plants in pots that are dying ken this year it's actually mature trees are starting to die i think they? people have missed out that that early period was so dry it was so dry yeah and i think people weren't watering pots yeah. and containers were they yeah so just unless it's unless it's dead water it well yeah and give it a good liquid feed what do you think yeah i like what you were saying earlier about the maxi crop seaweed extract uh, the foliar feed because that really gets into the plants very quickly being a foliar feed and it's a, a good all-round uh, fertilizer it is and that that does make life a lot easier yeah. doesn't it yeah now i'm going to go back to an email and an email this time from beamsville in ontario in canada from casra and uh, <laughs> She's saying, she's got a couple of questions, but the first one is she bought a, two years ago, she bought a, a lovely lemon tree. Well, lemon bush. Um, she feels she's on the verge of killing it. In the summer, it seems to do fine. So she's leaving it outside in the summer, yep. which is correct, isn't yep. it? And when she brings it in, near her large living room window by the end of winter it looks tired and weak leaves start to yellow they fall off a bit and she also repotted last year but that's neither near that here nor there um so where's she from ontario so that's going to be very cold very it's cold extremely cold and, and a lot hot of, in the summer isn't yeah, it? And very hot yeah yeah so she's doing the right thing in the summer yeah. actually it's what happens in the uk with a lemon plant yeah. isn't it I think what people tend to forget as well, when they bring them in over the winter, they have the central heating on during the daytime, and then it's re and then they turn it off in the, uh, you know, in the oh, evening cool. overnight, and then it gets really cool. And that fluctuation in temperature is a classic um, cocktail for leaf drop. And also, light levels are lower. Yeah. Whatever happens. So in fact, it's just what happens, isn't it? You yeah. don't, don't worry. Wouldn't yeah. worry about it. It's normal, and it will happen yeah so unless you want to spend lots of money and uh, up in our central heating during the um overnight there's nothing much else you can do and does she have to pollinate the flowers you can with them um, a little fine brush can't yeah you? used to do them with a little paintbrush thank you very much for listening to the bbc essex gardening hour podcast if you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave you can download this program and take it with you on the bbc sounds app
Don't forget, if you have a gardening question for us, give us a call on 0800 4041 and be part of the programme. Yeah, join me every Saturday morning on BBC Essex from 11 o'clock.